The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode 835 for Monday, September 28th, 2020. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show. We take all your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We mix them all together. We add some stuff of our own. The goal being that each and every one of us learns at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include varsitytutors.com slash MGG, otherworld computing at maxsales.com and expressvpn.com slash MGG. We'll talk more in depth about each of those in a little bit here, for now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How goes it, Mr. John F. Braun? Uh, just, you know, falling into fall. Falling into fall. Yeah, it's been, uh, I mean, uh, uh, unfortunately, we're having a drought in these here parts of, of New England. Yeah, we are too. Yeah, well, yeah, I think all of New England is, but um, but it has created opportunities for some nice uh Nice weather. So the silver lining is like, I actually got to play three gigs this weekend. Um, probably the last three of the year, given that, you know, outdoors is the only place that those can happen right now. So we're mostly the only place. There's a few indoor venues that work out, but, you know, not, not most of them. Anyway, we have a big list of things to go through here. Should we start with some quick, uh, easy for me to say, should we start with some quick yes. tips, Mr. Braun? <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. All right. We've got, uh, we've got quick tips about iOS 14 and then we've got more tips about iOS 14. It's great. And, and watch OS and all of that good stuff. Michael starts us with a, uh, a great little quick tip. He says with iOS 14, there's finally a way to add text to a photo in the form of a caption. When viewing the photo, just swipe up from the bottom of the screen and there is an add a caption field directly below the photo. I thought that was pretty cool, man. I like, I like these little enhancements. Yeah. Well, I like the little things that like, you know, if you know they're there, they're there, but if you don't, then you know, that's what quick tips are for. I think Apple's Apple has, it's the right way to say this. There are so many features now in the OSs that, um, they can't surface all of them all of the time. Otherwise you'd have like a, the terribly cluttered user interface that we would all hate. Right. But, mm -hmm. um, but that does sort of create more opportunity for quick tips so we can all learn what these features are. So, all right. Um, Jeremy has uh, something about watch OS seven. He says, I ran into an issue after I upgraded my series five Apple watch this weekend and thought I would share when you restart audio, uh, on your iPhone, the watch changes to allow you to control it. This can be turned off, but it appears, at least to me, that there are two settings which might be fighting against each other. Either in the watch app on the phone or the watch itself, go to settings, general, wake screen, return to clock. Here, you can set it to always return to the clock instead of having a timed delay. But that, he says, isn't enough. You also have to go to settings, general, wig screen, auto launch audio apps and turn that off. I'm not sure why telling the watch to always return to the watch with no delay still keeps the audio app on the screen of the watch. 
but I thought some other listeners would like to know how to get by this. So yeah, that's interesting. So it's settings, general wake screen, auto launch audio apps needs to be turned off. Otherwise that'll just happen. And then your watch faces is, is always that audio app. So thanks, Jeremy. It's good stuff. This is why we do what we do. I'm already learning things. I didn't know about the captures. I didn't know, or the captions. And I didn't know about these audio controls. So like, we're almost finished. We almost get to play the theme song, you know, jettison. Uh, I wish this one would come to the iPhone, John, but for now we'll take it. Uh, on iPad OS 14, he says it's way less important where apps are, of course, with the app library, but what if I counter that by saying it's more important to have the right apps on the right pages, but where are they to move them? No need. If you search and find the app, then long press on the result of the search and drag. You don't have to find it. It's right there. So I thought that was really interesting. I wish it worked. I can't get it to work on iPhone. If anybody knows how to do that on iPhone, it'd be great. But on iPad, it does work. So if you just find it, then you can drag it to wherever you want it to be on your pages. And I think that's pretty awesome. Like I said, I, I want that on iPhone because I like there are many apps that I run routinely and I, I have no idea where they are in the stack. And, uh, and I would like to surface a couple of them to have them on my few screens that I'm displaying and then not display. We, I don't think we've been through that on the show. Uh, many of you probably know about this, but, um, on, uh, iOS and 14 and iPad OS 14, if you get into, what is it? It's not jiggly jiggly mode. Is it? Oh yeah. You get into jiggly jiggly mode to, you know, get the apps all rolling. And then at the bottom of the screen, uh, above the dock, you'll see the dots of the pages that you have tap that. And that'll bring up, uh, sort of a, a, a bird's eye view of all of your pages and you can check or uncheck the ones that you want to appear. And once you get it, once you uncheck a bunch of them, when you get to the end of that list, that that's where you, uh, the app library, sort of the auto sorted thing comes up and you can search the app library or you can, you know, go with the Apple's, you know, auto categorization of things. So that's how you do that. So the bonus quick tip in case, in case you hadn't found that on yours yet. So are you, have you messed with that yet, John? No, really? <clears throat> so you just, you still have, you're not using the app library yet. No, I, you know, yeah, I up upgraded to 14. And then the, the one thing that I liked was that everything looked the same. <laughs> yes, sure. Yeah. Then yeah. I started swiping to the right and the left to see some of the new things. Yeah, I, I got to, um, I mean, I know I can put widgets on the screen and that, yeah. yeah, they have the categories and all that. Yeah, I haven't really messed with that much. Yeah. It, it, Isn't it like I have before? Right. Well, and that's the, that's the thing, right? Because it, I mean, to what I was saying earlier that it, like there's so many features that Apple, like, I feel like, especially with these new widgets and, and such in iOS 14, I, I feel like Apple could have done a better job of, of maybe gamifying the onboarding process. You know, like when you, when you play a game, the first level isn't really mm -hmm. to get to the end of the first level. The first level is to, to teach you the commands and the, the user interface of the game so that you can get through mm -hmm. the second level, right? I, I feel like Apple could have gamified this and said, hey, do you want to add widgets? Let's, you know, walk you through doing that so that you have some, some experiential knowledge of this. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, anyway, I, you know, that's, but I don't know, I guess Apple can't do everything. They leave some of that to us, John. 
That's what mm-hmm. it goes with. You want to, uh, you got one, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, here's one. Um, so Bill says, on Mechie Cab 834, you mentioned a new camera setting to mirror the front camera. I don't see this at all. Like you, I have an iPhone 8. So I would think that we'd have the same options. I also don't see the FaceTime eye contact setting that, that was also mentioned. Is that only for newer phones? Are you guys on the beta version of the next iOS update? Um, Bill's right. Uh, and I remember this happening with, with other upgrades too, is that if your processor, I guess, is not beefy enough, they're not going to include, you don't get certain features. And sure enough, I, I read about these features, but you know, had not actually looked to see if they were on my phone Sure, and they're not on my phone. Got it. Um, if I had a newer phone, then yeah, I think you go to settings camera and you, you'll see that selector or go to settings FaceTime and, and you'll see the uh, feature. Got so. It. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. That's good to know. Yeah. 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 Good to know. Cool. Uh, Bill found another thing in the, uh, in the UI of the phone and it is that, um, he, he was or of watch OS rather. If you go to control center on your watch, he said, you know, scroll down to the, uh, the end of it and you'll see an icon that looks like, what did he describe it? He says, it looks like voice memos, right? Um, but it's not. And for him, and also for me at the time, it was, um, it was not, it, like, it was not active. Like, I couldn't tap it. Like, it, it, was, it was neither on, it was off, but also I could not turn it on. And so I, I shared a screenshot and posted it to Twitter and, and Zach Hall over at nine to five Mac said, it's the announce messages with Siri toggle for AirPods and the like. So it's, if you, if you have your AirPods in and synced up with your watch, then you can use this to toggle the auto announce messages with Siri feature on and off quickly, which is what control center is for. So nice catch bill. And thanks Zach for, uh, we're coming to the rescue on that one. So that's pretty good. I, uh, right. I like it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a cool little feature. So, and I like that it, they've added it to control center there. So it's good. Good, good. Uh, in the last episode, John, we talked about the private addresses that are in iOS 14 and iPad OS 14. And I think even coming to big Sur potentially, I, th- I think I remember seeing that when I was messing with the betas, um, where when you connect to a Wi-Fi network, your phone comes up with its own seemingly randomized Mac address, uh, or hardware ID address so that you can't be tracked from network to network. And we, posited somewhat correctly but but without the entire picture that this would wreak havoc on things like security and parental controls and dhcp reservations and all of that stuff uh well uh and and pierre timo asks you know as he says i I have the synology router with two teenagers in the house he says i've enabled the safe access profiles for their devices both to limit their access to the wrong sites and block their access while they're supposed to be asleep at night. He says, I discovered that my son was in fact online after his scheduled internet time was used up. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says, I went into the router and found 
another entry for his iPhone, albeit not on the list of his devices. He says, I thought he might have renamed it, thus circumventing the policy rule. But no, he says, you gave me the hint that with iOS 14, there's these private addresses. He says, this is a clear hint to other parents out there. The control we once had is no longer there unless this is disabled. And again, if they discover this as well and reactivate it, then we're back to square one. Well, good news. Many of you pointed out to us that uh, that this is a it is uh, it does create a new MAC address, but it is not a r truly randomized address. It is randomized based on the SSID to which you're the, the network name to which you're connected and it remains consistent for that network. So, for example, I turned on private addresses, I don't know, four or five days ago and took a screenshot of what my phone assigned itself as its address. And then I turned it off and I, you know, went about my business for a few days. I restarted my phone in there a couple of times. And then yesterday I turned it back on John and it gave me the exact same private address for this network. Hmm. Right. So yes, it creates exactly the problems that we found and the ones that Pierre Timo, uh, uh, you know, articulates here, but it, is not all is not lost. You have to put in two entries for each device, one with the private address, one without the private address. And, uh, and then you're okay. I mean, it's, it's imperfect, but it, it does allow you like, you know, at, at least you can set your parental controls and, and keep them in place. Your DHCP reservations, you would have to have, unless you're some, Routers will allow you to assign the same IP address to two different reservations. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's reasons that some might not want you to do that. Right? Like you could end up with a real problem. But um, but otherwise, you'd have to if you want to do DHCP reservations for your for your iPhones, then you would have to give, give them two separate ones. It's a you know a good way to to proceed there. So that's those are my thoughts. What do you think, John? Any anything we're missing on that? No, I, I turned it off. Okay. Yeah. But it is on by default. So it is, <clears> it is something like if you had parental controls in place for all your devices, any device on iOS 14 has changed. Like unless yeah. you go in and turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we state, yeah, I, the, uh, I think it was a bad choice to have that on by default because I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people were confused. Yeah. It, you know, it's tough, right? Because I like, including me, it was like, yeah. you know, the, I mean, as soon as I did it, all my, you know, security stuff said, Hey, there's a new device. And I'm like, no, there isn't. And I'm right. like, Oh yes, it is. Oh yes, there as far is. As it's concerned. Yep. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm of two minds on this, right? Because for my home network, like the, you know, or a, a work network, like things where you are, I'm on it all the time. I trust it. It's fine. Like all good. I, I don't want this on. I'm totally good with it. Getting my real Mac address and all of that. But every other network I join, I'm a hundred percent fine with it doing this. In fact, I like that it does it by default. So like, I don't know what the right, again, you know, what, what the right onboarding process for this feature was. Not talking about it at all, though, is the wrong onboarding process for this feature. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> I, but I don't know what the right one was. Like, it's a hard call. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Dave, there's something new. Yeah, man. I've noticed. Just let people know. Uh, 
iOS 14.0.1 was released at some point last week or yep. this week. Um, as far as I know, uh, so another thing you can do in iOS 14 is you can change the default application for browsing and for mail, I think. Yep. Um, well, uh, there was a bug. So if you selected another one, and I think if you restarted the phone, it would revert back to using Apple's app. So 14.0.1 fixes that. And then another thing I noticed, Dave, which is was kind of neat and a feature I don't think any of us heard about, or at least it was new to me, is in iOS 14, if you copy and paste something, when you paste, it tells you what app that ca that content came from, which is kind of neat. Yeah, and it's a I new... I guess it's kind of a security thing. It, it, yeah, the first time it happened, I'm like, hmm, do I need to know this? I mean, it's nice to know. I don't know if you can turn it off, but... um, <laughs> Yeah, well, the clipboard is protected now as part of the privacy thing, right? Like um, if you go into settings, privacy, uh, crap, where is it? I know that there's, well, maybe it's, no, maybe it's in a, in the app stuff. Maybe you can't set this, but there is a thing where it says like, you have to grant clipboard access to, uh, to apps that are going to read it directly when you're just pasting in, obviously that's, that's, you know, that's okay. Cause that's you doing it. But mm -hmm. some apps like like the deliveries app, which is a great app. That's my um, my go to app for tracking shipping stuff. And it syncs and it's great. I have it on my iOS devices and also on my, you know, on my Mac. And it's all like deliveries is awesome. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's a kind of a bonus cool stuff found there. But um, it uh, it will auto parse your. Clipboard when you launch the app. So, and it'll say, Hey, it looks like you've got a, you know, a UPS delivery or FedEx delivery on your clipboard. Do you want me mm -hmm. to, do you want me to, you know, uh, process that? Do you want me to add it to your list? Which is awesome. But it had to get permission with iOS 14 to, to talk to the clipboard and, and just automatically look at it like that. Um, but yeah, I like, I kind of like it. I mean, it's, you know, it's nice to get some confirmation that things came from where you thought they came from and all of that good mm -hmm. stuff. So, yeah. I like that. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, anything more on that? Nope. Okay. Um, David brings us a question. And I think this has to do with iOS 14, but I want to know more from, from y'all actually. Uh, David says, I've been scouring the web and people are having issues with CarPlay, but no one seems to have nailed this. And I wanted to get your thoughts. I've tried just about everything from a new phone, a new cable, Apple original cables, cleaning out the ports, hard resets, etc. And my dealer states that there's no update on either end, uh, on their end either. He says, the issue is that when I plug my iPhone into the port of my Chevy truck, sometimes it connects right away, sometimes not. I then engage in a flipping the cable, plugging and unplugging and other activities to get it to connect. It charges sometimes, but CarPlay doesn't engage. Other times, when it does connect, the slightest bump of the cable or iPhone immediately disconnects CarPlay, and then the game begins again. Many times, I can't get it to reconnect at all. Any ideas? So you're not alone. Um, at the very least, you're in a group of two, because I have been experiencing this too. And it, it, for me, it seems to have been uh, in sync with when I updated my phone to, the, to iOS 14. I, I had 
betas on other devices, but my main phone, I actually, this time I waited. You Normally I do the Golden Master, but like we mentioned last week, you know, we didn't have to because the Golden Master and the release were within, you know, less than a day of each other. Um, I have had all kinds of CarPlay issues in, in the past when I first got my, my CarPlay car, which is a Subaru Outback. Um, and there were some known issues with the head units in that car. But then listener Kenny pointed out to us uh, a few months ago that his dealer told him, uh, the automatic adapter, the little uh, OBD2 onboard diagnostics, OBD2 port adapter mm-hmm. that uh, that he had in his car was known to cause CarPlay issues. And of course, we all removed those from our cars because automatic went out of business. And and that seemed to have solved any issues I was having, which, to be fair, at the time, weren't all that frequent. Now, since I was 14, that thing that David describes with like one little bump and it disconnects that definitely seems to be happening all the time for me. Like I've, I've had to really find a way to nestle my phone in so that that doesn't happen. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm not sure for me often it requires, you know, the unplug replug game, which is really fun to do while you're driving by the way. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And, and, or resetting the head unit, uh, rebooting the head unit while I'm driving, which actually is way easier because I just hold the power button in on that car and it, it, uh, you know, after 10 seconds or whatever, it, it reboots it. And then that usually deals with it for the rest of that ride. So yeah, there's something about the tolerance of the connection with CarPlay and iOS 14. I think let us know if you found anything feedback at MacGeekab.com. Um, well, you could also send something to feedback at MacGeekab.com. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fair, fair. But, but um, if, if neither of those works, then I would say try feedback at MacGeekab.com. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Good stuff. Yeah. I had a, the, it wasn't a CarPlay issue, but I, it, as far as I can tell, it was actually a bad lightning cable um, in my car and I swapped the cable out, but it, it would like half the time, when I plugged it in, my phone would, you know, you'd see the little lightning bolt and it yeah. was charging, but it would only happen like half the time. Sometimes flipping it over kind of like, you know, was described here yeah. would solve it. Sometimes it didn't. And I looked and I think I could see some corrosion on one of the, uh, one of the contacts, but, um, I went to actually an Apple cable and, uh, and it, it was fine. Yeah. That's so. good. It's good. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, the, it, the, the the cable quality matters for sure. Having, it, it, you know, I, either having an Apple cable or having an MFI certified cable makes a big difference, I've found, especially with CarPlay. But yeah, just in general, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but passing data it, without MFI certification, things are, you know, who knows. I found... I'll have to find a link for them for my car. I like to have a coiled cable so that I can stretch it, but then it, it, you know, sort of, you know, retracts into itself. So it's not all over the place and like dangling on the floor and getting all mucked up or whatever. And so I, I found some on Amazon, a, you know, MFI certified coiled cables that I, that I like to use in the car. I'll find a link for them and put them in the, mm-hmm. in the show notes. Cause that that's been, in fact, I probably need to order more cause I'm sure I did, I did have a spare and I tried that with this issue and nothing changed, but, um, but it did remind me that, oh, maybe I, maybe I need a second spare. The Boy Scout in me, you know, I can't, can't really repress it, John. It's, um, you know, 
I, I know we say don't get caught here, but really, you know, a close second to that is, is the scouts motto of always be prepared. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, we have some stuff about like hot CPUs to talk about. We've got some good follow-ups and maybe even some networking stuff. If we can get to it, uh, very eager to get to all of this stuff. And I am very eager to tell you about our, uh, our sponsors for today. If that works for you, Mr. John F. Braun, please. All right. Our first sponsor today is Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com and their new Thunderbolt 3 mini dock. So this is a 5-in-1 Thunderbolt 3 adapter that allows you to connect two 4K displays, two USB storage and desktop accessory devices, and has a gigabit Ethernet port on it all with one Thunderbolt cable. I mean, this is the beauty of Thunderbolt, right? Is you can do all of these things. You've got lots of bandwidth, but you also kind of have that main line to the motherboard that gives you the option of adding all these different interfaces across that high-speed link. Really cool. And of course, Otherworld Computing, anytime I have a Thunderbolt question, they are the people I go to. Like they know Thunderbolt, they research this stuff, they figure out what they can do, how to do it right. And they do this with everything that they do, but I know that they do it with Thunderbolt because I've had these conversations with them and they always have the answers. In fact, sometimes they blow me away with their answers and it's because they care, right? They're geeks like us, but they're geeks about that stuff in like specifically. They're also geeks about logistics and shipping and customer service and all the other things that matter to running a business like that. They get it. They know what they have to be good at and they are good at all of those things. There's a reason that I say they are the first place that John and I go when it's time to add something to our Macs and it's because of all those things. So you can do it too. Go to MacSales.com. Check out the new Thunderbolt 3 mini dock. Check out everything else they have. Our thanks to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this episode. All right. So we all know that our VPNs protect our privacy and security online, right? They create that, that secure tunnel through which all of our stuff travels, all our data travels, not all of our stuff, just our data. But that's, that's important because data is our stuff these days. Well, because of that, the way it works is your endpoint, the point at which it appears you're accessing the internet, is somewhere over there, not at your house or wherever it is you happen to be. And so you get to choose when you use ExpressVPN, our next sponsor here at expressvpn.com slash MGG, you get to choose your endpoint. And so, for example, when I wanted to watch Star Trek Discovery on Netflix and it wasn't on US Netflix, okay, well, I can just make my endpoint in the UK and now I can watch Star Trek Discovery on UK Netflix, or you can watch Rick and Morty on France Netflix, or, you know, lots of other things, right? Like the, the offerings are different in different places, and this is a way that you can sort of get there. It also works if you happen to be traveling and you want to watch something on your US Netflix. Uh, if you're out of the country, right? You use ExpressVPN, you tunnel back in, you can see your stuff. They make it super easy. There's a reason that we've been using ExpressVPN here for years. We started using them because they were a sponsor. We kept using them because it works, it's fast, and it's super easy. Like one click on my Mac, one click on my iPhone, one click on my iPad. I mean, they work with everything. And I'm done. Like, that's it. It's all, I'm all connected. So you got to check it out. And if you visit our special link right now, 
as I said before, expressvpn.com slash MGG, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. So you can support the show, you watch what you want, and you can protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash MGG. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Look, I know a lot of you are parents like I am, and certainly one of the things that we, as parents, we worry about our kids. And one of the recent things, you know, for the last several months, six months, has that's kind of kept me like thinking and, and wondering is, what does school look like for my kids? How is this new abnormal affecting my kids' education, right? And transitioning as they did in, in the spring, you know, almost like at the drop of a hat from being in a classroom for seven hours a day to learning from home has been, you know, it's difficult. So there's ways, though, that we have found to keep the kids engaged. And this was helpful over the summer. Uh, it can be helpful with your kids now. Go get creative and enroll your kid in Varsity Tutors because Varsity Tutors delivers free live enrichment classes taught by experts that make learning fun. And so like they've, some of these classes are cool, right? They, it, they've got hundreds of free online classes. There's a class by Dr. Doug Newton, who is a child psychiatrist. Uh, Chief Medical Officer of Sundermind. Will the kids be all right? Navigating an unprecedented back to school season. This sounds like it's more for me. Like this is a class I want to take and you can, right? There's nothing that stops you from doing that. They've got a class uh, on artificial intelligence, expert instructors from Data Robot. Very cool stuff. And you can go check this out. So to reserve your spot in a free class, go to varsitytutors.com slash MGG. That's varsitytutors.com slash MGG, spelled just like it sounds. And you can, that way you can give your child the confidence and the keys to success today at where? Varsitytutors.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Varsity Tutors for doing what they're doing, offering so much for free and for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's. Uh, yeah, let's go. Let's do some of the CPU stuff. Chris writes, he says, my 2019 16 inch MacBook Pro has been suffering the past couple of weeks with the fans ramping up within hours of booting up. And once they fired up, I noticed that sharing D is taking around 100% CPU. So I force quit it. This may or may not help. Sometimes I also have to quit mail and or Safari before things settle down. Have you seen anyone else report anything like this? Any ideas of a fix rather than the Band-Aid that I'm using now? Previously, I've left my laptops on 24 hours a day for weeks now, and now I have resorted to shutting down each night to avoid overheating while I'm asleep. So I did some scouring on this, John, and I can't find any, I can't find what Sharing D does. Um, so I looked on my Mac, and it appears to be doing a lot with address book databases. And I figured this out, by opening up Activity Monitor, finding Sharing D, double-clicking Sharing D, and then going to the Open Files and Ports listing and going to the bottom of that. That'll tell you what the most recently opened files are, and, and, it, and it's live updates, right? So if things change, it'll show you. It all, it'll also show you the reason it says ports is it'll show you network connections that uh that the app is making. So it can be really handy for, for digging into things exactly like this. And so I saw a lot of things in there about address book and all my address book databases being open and active with sharing D. So my question back to Chris would be, do you have any issues with your contacts database or, and one of the issues and I'm using air quotes here might be that you have more than one contacts 
server syncing with your contacts database. For whatever reason, I find, you know, if I just have iCloud, John, it's totally fine. If I have uh, uh, like a, a Google contact syncing, I see things, you know, churning and my CPUs worrying a lot more. So, uh, you know, and I don't know why that is. I don't, I, you know, I don't think it's just my problem, but it could be. Maybe it's also Chris's problem. So, uh, so that would be the place to look, but that's kind of the way to, when you're seeing a process that's going nuts and you're not sure what it does, dig into it that way with activity monitor. And then you can, then you can see. So I don't know. What do you think? Um, sharing D I know what it does. Okay, cool. H how do I know what it does? Dave, you may ask, would you like me to ask? <laughs> Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll spoil a surprise. Okay. Um, go to the terminal and type man sharing D. I and like here's it. what it does. So, so it, based on what the manual page says, I find it kind of weird that it's an address issue. At first I thought it was the, the sharing, uh, system preference. Um, mm. Sure. But it's I was not. like, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe look there. Um, but no, sh sharing D is interesting. So sharing daemon that enables airdrop, handoff, instant hotspot, shared computers, and remote disk in the finder. Okay. Uh, um, it sure seems to be opening. cloud devices. Hmm. I mean, it sure seems to be opening. Like, I would say on this machine... 60% of the files that it has open. Okay. Maybe 80% of the mm -hmm. files that it has open okay. are related to address book. Now you might need address book for this, right? Maybe, maybe it's using address book to find out your iCloud ID because that's how it, it does uh, handoff. Right. I mean, I, like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at one thing, but yeah, there's an, there's, it's also got a single file open called the airdrop hash DB uh, mm -hmm. that, presumably is for some of this, but then it's got like core phone numbers and, and then more address book and then contacts and, you know, security messages. Okay. There's another one. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, if there's a sharing D dot P list somewhere, maybe that's messed up. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Uh, right? Well, yeah. Although I would think I would see that in the open files and ports, oh, right, right. but I, I, okay. it could be there and I'm just haven't seen it. Cause that would not seeing a P list file with the name of the app would not jump out at mm -hmm. me as, mm -hmm. as like, I would expect that, uh, but I'm right, not seeing right. it. So um, <laughs> one, one right. thing, this listing's pretty small. It's maybe only three pages worth, so it's fairly easy to scroll through as I'm doing now. But you can copy the contents of this and paste it into, you know, BB Editor, your favorite text editor or whatever. And then you can search the contents of this there and, and look for things like that so that you're not actually just having to let your eyes do it. The computers tend to be better at those things than we meager humans. So, uh, so there you go. Yeah, interesting. So there, there you go. That's uh, there you go. That's how it works. All right. Uh, do we, we might have a follow-up here from Dave Ginsburg in the chat. Yes. Okay. So Dave is telling us how to move an app. Ah, 
So on the iPhone, back to what we were talking about before with the, the searching on the iPad, on the iPhone, you go to the app library. And if you find the app that you want there, push and hold on it. And then you can drag it from the app library, not from the search results, but from the app library out to the um, to the, the, the you know, your home screens and, and put it wherever you want. And Dave rocks because not only did Dave provide this real time feedback while we were recording, Dave tweeted a video of showing us exactly how to do this. So uh, so I will put a link nice. to this video in the uh, in the show notes. That's awesome. And if I had figured out, if I had set up a way to show the video in the live video stream, I would do that, but I didn't. And so I'm not going to, but, uh, I, I probably could, could I, I mean, would it be that hard? Let's see what happens. So we'll, we'll, we'll try a moment here. Uh, bear with us, our, our audio listeners, uh, because you know, we got to try experiments every now and then. So I'm going to put this link into a web browser here. And then I'm going to make the web browser live. Oh, great. And of course, Mimo Live says this browser is no longer supported. <laughs> so oh, look at that. So I don't think we get to do this, but maybe we do. Yeah, I think we do anyway. So there goes Dave's video. And I believe it's displaying. Oh, maybe it's not displaying. Nope. It's, I think it's just showing all black. That's too bad. All right. Well, we learn things. It's fine. It's all good. We'll bring John and I back. So uh, you can, I, I will put a link. Uh, Dave says to uh, drag from app library to home screen. And I will put this in the show notes. So I need to figure out a better way to get Twitter videos into uh, to our live stream. But we try things. We experiment. We fail. We learn. It's good. Five things. All right. Good. Uh, I feel like I've definitely hit my five already, John. But we have more questions about CPU and things like that. So let's go to Rob if we can here. And Rob asks, he says, uh, is there a way to interpret kernel log crash reports? He says, my brand new Mac mini crashes about one time a week and I can't pinpoint it. So again, this is one of those things where I find it's worth looking in the, uh, in the crash logs to see if anything jumps out at me. And also by doing that, each time I do encounter one of these, I learn to know what normal looks like, right? Like, like I really feel like this is, we humans are so good at pattern recognition. Like it is how we get through our days. Our brains are wired to recognize patterns and ignore them for us, right? Like that's why sometimes you can't find the thing that's sitting right there that's been sitting there for a long time because your brain has said, well, you don't need to process this data. It is, it, you know, like you have, if, if we processed everything that, every bit of input that came in, it, we would be overwhelmed. So our brains are great at pattern recognition. And so you can train that, right? Machine learning and you train your pattern recognizer by throwing patterns at it. So, that's why I, I talk about, you know, learn what normal looks like. Look at all these things so that when there's a when there's an anomaly, it will jump out at you, you know, and you'll you'll get better at this. Uh, that being said, I looked at the particular crash report that Rob sent in and I didn't see anything that that jumped out at me. A, a lot of these are are pretty nebulous. Um, so, I, you know, I hesitate to speculate anything, uh, but I would 
again, because our brains are really good at this pattern things better than we even realize sometimes. My my question to people when they say, oh, my computer's doing this weird thing and there's nothing obvious that I can see uh, from anything that either they're providing or that I'm just seeing is I always ask, is there anything that you do with this particular Mac that you where you notice yourself hesitate, like before you click, like it could be as simple as like opening an email or, you know, going to file new instead of hitting command N like you know, is there anything that you've learned to do because you like feel like that's the thing that might cause a problem? Because a lot of times you're right. Like that can, you know, tug on that thread a little bit and you might be able to find what it is. So I don't know. I didn't mean to get into weird psychology, but you know, it's, it's how we do things. So we, we got to leverage the things we're good at. I don't know. It's, what would you any, what, what do you do when you look at a, a kernel panic log, John? Um, yeah, this usually when I, yeah, I haven't seen one for a while, but usually they'll, they'll specify recently loaded and unloaded kernel extensions. And I don't see that in this one. Yep. Um, but if you do see the, yeah, this looks like just a generic crash or, or you know, the OS crashed. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I don't see the I don't see the name of anything now. A lot of times when people have, or, or I've seen some in the past, and sometimes you can glean who may be responsible for it, um, based on the kernel extensions that were recently uh, loaded or unloaded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. You know, like one I saw one time. You'll see like HID in it, which is human interface device. That's probably a USB thing. Yes. Uh, right. Right. For right. example. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, now the weird thing about this one, Dave here, um, that, uh, it, I don't know why we're seeing this here. <laughs> um, but the kernel version, you, you see that line in there? Yes. Notice something there. Arm 64. Why is arm 64 running on? The <laughs> what? Hmm. That's the kernel version yeah, has no, the I, word I, ARM64 in it. See? I see that. I, and I don't know if that's abnormal, right? I don't, I, I've never, like, I, the version of the kernel isn't something that would cause or not cause a crash, right? So I, I, I've happily mm. ignored that all the time. But that is oh, interesting okay. because presume, unless, you know, he's asking about a Mac Mini. Is he asking about a development Mac Mini? <laughs> like. I, I'm wondering if this is a development Mac mini. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh? Huh? And now I, I have to, now I have because, to find some kernel logs and look to see if mine say arm 60. Well, wait a minute. You can get that from the terminal. You name dash a. Yeah. So on my computer, if you do a, you name dash a from the terminal, that portion, I mean, it's a big, long thing, but again, this is how you, how you look. But looking at that big, long thing, same, is it the same version of the kernel? 19.6.0. Yes. Mine's from Thursday, June 18th. His is from Thursday, July 9th. Um, and mine ends in release x86.64. As does my mini. So, so all right. This is the, I think this is a development Mac mini. This is why the, we don't uh, share Apple your, Silicon. This is why we don't share your last names here, folks. <laughs> Because we don't want you to get caught. Uh, so that may be the, the reason. That's interesting. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, he says, my brand new Mac Mini. I wonder if that was his way of telling us brand new. 
you know, mm -hmm. it's really interesting. Although does Big Sur say release ARM64? Although you'd think that that would be a newer kernel version. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Interesting things to yeah. check out. And, um, oh yeah. And Alex asked the question. Yeah. Another thing, um, Ram. <clears throat> yes. Uh, reseat your Ram if it's reseatable, which I think the mini, uh, you can still play with the memory, right? Mm, you can it not officially, but it's a, mm. it's yeah, it's not, it's not just like one screw and you're at the Ram. I think it's like a 20 minute tour in and out. It's not terrible, but technically it is mm -hmm. not user replaceable, uh, but you can't, but it is, it is, re, it is, it's not soldered. You can take it out and put it back in. Yes. So, yeah. But, so, uh, test your Ram maybe. Yeah. Or reseat your Ram. Yeah. I like that. That's good. All right, uh, we'll circle back here again, staying on CPU and and perhaps showing my own bias about the uh, the 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 first one from uh, from Chris. Is this the same one? Yeah, it is the same one. All right, John, you. Uh, so I'm not going to do that one. I guess I I listed the same item on the agenda two different ways. That's great. Uh, you had an issue with your your laptop this week. Oh yeah. Um... Yeah, I've, I've, I've had this problem ever since. Here's the warning. Don't mount your. <laughs> I made a mistake. So I, I looked at the Big Sur beta and I put it on an external drive and I booted from it. What I shouldn't have done, Dave, was to mount the internal drive on my MacBook Pro. From within Big which Sur. Which I did. Yes. Now, this was an early beta um, of Big Sur. We don't know if the problem correct. that you're experiencing would be happening with current betas, just to throw it all out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, what was happening is that over time, my time machine backups would be take would be getting longer and longer and longer. And they would they would sit at the uh, uh, towards the end of the process. You'll see a line that says, you know, backing up and then the amount of data. And it would, that number would keep increasing <laughs> and it would sometimes take hours for it to, and also the number was like really big, like tens of gigabytes. And I'm like, you know, usually that, uh, I don't have that much data changing state from uh, time machine backup to time machine backup. If anything, it's like on the order of hundreds of megabytes. So there was something up with the disc mm -hmm. and this utility said, this message, which I think was the uh, the core of my problem. Warning, container has been mounted by APFS version 164.0.0.0, which is newer than 1412.141.1. I'm like, oh boy. Mm. So APFS touched my internal drive and I think screwed something up because the other error that I would get after that was some sort of allocation error and there would be like hundreds of them. And at some point it's like, I'm not going to show you any more of these because there's too many of them. But I think that was the cause of the issue. Now, fortunately, I make a carbon copy cloner clone of okay. my internal drive. The thing is, uh, Big Sur didn't touch that drive, <laughs> nor should it. Um, and when I ran disutility on that drive, I didn't get any any of these crazy errors. And I'm like, you know what? Let's uh, Let's restore from the clone to the internal drive. And that fixed the problem. 
That's awesome. It was it was a bit huh. nerve wracking because I basically you know erased my internal drive, and then you know once you boot from the uh, carbon copy cloner, it'll be like oh it looks like you booted from a clone. You want to help me? Uh, you know you want me to restore to somewhere else? And I'm like yeah please, and that fixed the problem. Now okay. when I run Time yeah. Machine, so one you know they complete you know, within minutes, not hours. And number two, the amount of data that it says it's backing up is much more reasonable uh, when compared to before. So. So this I, is interesting. So it was, it was, it was truly the structure of the disc, not any of the user data. Cause you, you basically took, right. a, you cloned and then restored that, that immediate clone and, and then everything was fine. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that's a great way to solve that problem because you lost nothing <laughs> in theory. Right. right. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Huh. Yeah. All right. I like it. That's a good solution. I, yeah. I wonder if that would be, I wonder what would have happened if you updated your external drive to the latest Big Sur beta and did the same thing. Like, no, if that would have fixed, <laughs> no, if that would have fixed it. Like if you, re, oh. if you booted from the newest Big Sur beta and, and did the same thing, just mounted your Catalina drive, would that have like gone in and, and been like, aha, I, I caused a problem. Let me right. fix it. Right. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Would that have been another way to get there? Because presumably once Big Sur is, you know, golden mastered or released, like it will not be causing these problems if it mounts a drive from an older OS. I mean, that would be uh, no bueno because that's mm -hmm. going to happen all the time, I would think, or not all the time, but frequently enough that Apple wants to avoid that. So interesting. Well, nice fix, man. That's good. I like it. Uh, all right. Wayne has a question for us. Take it away. Wayne. Hey guys, Wayne Henderson here in Southern California. And I need your help because I can no longer create reminders via Siri. In fact, I haven't been able to do so since around the time of the changeover of Apple systems due to Catalina, since my laptop at the time is stuck two versions behind. So I selected the proper option. I think at the time to not upgrade to the new whatever system they were using for reminders. Anyway, tried everything, signed in and out of iCloud on my iPhone 8 Plus, my third gen Apple Watch, and on my 2010 MacBook Pro. I even reset the network settings on my iPhone. No luck. Fast forward several frustrating months. I now have a 2020 MacBook Air and an iPhone 11 and still my third gen Apple watch and everything is modern and up to date and current and everything except guess what gentlemen I still can't create reminders with Siri on my Apple watch nor on my iPhone 11 what the heck is going on <laughs> you're my only hope as they say <laughs> and here's where I was going to try to have Siri create a reminder to have you cut me off but uh well you know yeah uh, I wish we had an answer for you. I, I like it, it should work. Um, I'm curious. I, I know this question came in before iOS 14 was a thing. Like, I wonder if that, uh, resolved this for you. I, like I didn't have any trouble. I waited to convert to the new reminders for quite some time. Uh, you know, once that, that transition happened last year and, and it like I do I did not have a problem before and I don't have a problem now. So 
like it's not a universal problem with the scenario you're in. It it's a specific problem with your uh, setup or devices. But I, I I'm happy to throw this one out as a geek challenge if anybody has an idea other than you know nuke and pave the the affected device as mm. I don't know. You have any other? You have any better thoughts, John? I always hate nuke and pave as the answer, but you know. Because it's not necessarily always the answer, but right now, yeah. any, any thoughts? No. Okay. It's a geek challenge. John, you want to take us to Charles? Yeah. And I don't know. Charles may require a new campaign for this, but okay. uh, <laughs> uh, a friend's wedding anniversary showed up in my Apple calendar. Perhaps uh, Siri decided to pull it from my contacts. I don't need that information, so try to delete it. What I got was the error, uh, and they gave a screenshot of the error, and here it's kind of fuzzy, but uh, okay, here we go. You can't change events in the contacts calendar. Only the calendar administrator and any delegates with permission can make changes to read-only calendars. To make changes to the calendar, contact the calendar administrator. Huh. Um... I've checked with Google and Apple. As I am my computer's administrator and users and group, I should be able to delete this. Also, the online information doesn't make it clear how to find delegates, a term I've never seen in relation to Apple's calendar. I went back to my contacts and deleted the anniversary information and restarted both calendar and contacts, but I still can't delete the event. I also double-checked that my permissions are set correctly for both programs. As administrator, I have read-write access for both. So what's up? <laughs> Um, huh. The first thing that came to my mind, Dave, Dave, is that if it is, um, a Siri item being placed on the calendar, uh, I, I didn't see this part of his screen, but when I look at my setup, Dave, if you click on the calendars button in the calendar program, uh, you're going to see a bunch of, uh, different calendars, uh, home and, you know, like I have Mac Geek app. Sure. Um, things like that. Um, I also saw one called Siri Suggestions, Dave. So maybe disabling that will make it go away. <laughs> huh. Um, but the, uh, I, I had a Siri Suggestions in my other category. So one, uncheck that and see if that goes away. Um, you can also right-click on Siri Suggestions and say delete. So maybe try that. If you want to delete a series suggestion. Yeah, that's interesting. That whole, Otherwise, Dave. Yeah, that whole delegates thing is from uh, like sharing access to your calendar. It's it's throwing up an erroneous message or a misleading message. I should say it's not necessarily wrong. It's just not about that. So like I could I could have a calendar and delegate you read only access to it, John. And then you would, mm -hmm. if you tried to modify something on it, you'd presumably get this message or something very much like it saying, Hey, you're, you have to talk to the administrator, but this is more like the administrator is the system and the system always mm -hmm. wins, you know? So, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. Well, it sounds like we got two geek challenges here. I mean, the other thing, you know, similar to, uh, you know, the mail issue, that we uh, solved a while ago. Um, disabling the service or services uh, and getting rid of the local data. Yeah. And then 
uh, and then re-enabling may rebuild the data. And as far as I can tell, Dave, so contacts, um, there's a blast from the past. Um, the data for that is in home library application support address book. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Not right. contact. And then the calendar data is in home library calendars. One so, level up. Interesting. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So that maybe that data is corrupt and maybe renaming or, or wiping it will rebuild it and you won't get this crazy error anymore. Interesting. But yeah. Be right, careful the, right, in, in right. both cases, of course, you know, export the data or, you know, back it up before you, you, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So kind of another geek challenge, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. I've never, I've, yeah, I've never, I've never seen that message. No, I haven't tried to have, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Please let us know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love our Mac geek Gab community, John. It's cause we are one big family and we all happily help each other. And, uh, and you know, you folks provide as much of the information as, as, as we do. We are simply the, you know, the stewards and the funnel of all this in the chat room while this show has been happening. Uh, listener, Alex has been helping listener Paul with an issue, and uh, Paul asked while we were talking, John, about the, uh, you know, the mounting of of all these disks and, and the mounting of the internal disk. And he says, Paul said, it's as annoying as heck that as of Catalina, my Mac mini will automatically mount my internal disk, even though I always boot from an external drive. Pre Catalina, it would prompt me for a password and I could cancel. And he says, I do this as protection. And listener Alex chimed in. And, you know, started asking some questions like you do to get a little more information and says, uh, you know, Paul says, yeah, currently I do an unmount each time I reboot the mini. So Alex's solution to this was to use something called disk arbitrator, John, which I've never heard of before. You can install it with homebrew or presumably many other package managers. But um, but the readme for it says disk arbitrator is a Mac OS 10 forensic utility designed to help the user ensure correct forensic procedures are followed during imaging of a disk device. But apparently it comes with lots of different uh, things. And one of them is that you can, you know, uh, unmount disks easily. I have similar reasons. I don't want my clones to be mounted all the time. And so I, so thank you, Alex, first of all, for, for helping Paul and sharing that. And we'll obviously put a link to this in the show notes, but, um, I have the same thing when I boot my external drives all mount. Well, one of my external drives is my clone and I don't want my clone mounted all the time because when I do like spotlight searches, it will sometimes go and find things on the clone, even though I tell it not to, it's like, it doesn't matter. So uh, of course, I have Carbon Copy Cloner set to unmount the clone after it does its daily clone. However, between the time I reboot and when that clone happens, it's mounted unless I do something about it. So I wrote a little uh, automator. Maybe. Yeah, I think I did it in automator uh, that unmounts my clone. And I put that in startup items. So or login items. So now when my Mac mounts or my, my Mac starts up and it logs me in, it automatically unmounts my clone and keeps everything happy. So you could try that as well, Paul, if you want to, if you want to go that route, but thanks Alex for, for this, uh, for the disc arbitrator thing. That's very, very cool. All right. Uh, listener, Jeff, I'll call him listener, Jeff, even though it's really just friend Jeff asked me this question, but it was a perfect little scenario. 
uh, he got he uses LibreOffice as his. But n- none of th- th- this is this is about mail and attachments and permissions. His example is he uses LibreOffice to edit his Word and Excel uh, documents. And he got an Excel file emailed to him. So he double clicked the file and LibreOffice happened happily launched and because he has it set as his default for those types of files. And uh, when it opened, it says, hey, uh, document could not be locked. The lock file could not be created for exclusive access by LibreOffice due to missing permissions to create a lock file on that location. And it gave him the option of canceling, of course. Or opening the file read only. This is new as of Catalina. And it's part of the Catalina permissions that don't allow apps to just generally have full disk access. Your email attachments are not in your documents folder. They're not on your desktop. They're not in your downloads. They are buried in a folder in home library mail. You know, I think it's actually home library mail attachments, isn't it, John? Um, But it is in your library folder wherever Wherever it is now, I now I really want to look. I thought it was mail attachments, but maybe it's deeper than that. But anyway, it's somewhere in your library folder and apps do not by default have access to this. Well, that's what that's what you're being told here. And that's why LibreOffice is saying, hey, you just want me to open this read only. Uh, The other solution would be to drag it out of your email and put it in somewhere in your documents folder or, or elsewhere. And, and then things can, can have access. Or if you really want to do this, you could give LibreOffice full disk access or whatever app you're, you're running into with this problem. I don't recommend that with things that you're opening mail attachments from, because when I save them, if I'm going to make, if I'm just going to look at something, read only is fine, right? If I'm going to make a change to it, I do not want that change to be buried in some folder that I can't remember the name of while I'm doing a podcast, right? right? You know, so it's better when I hit save on what that read only file. It's like, okay, now tell me where you want me to put it. I actually kind of like that. I realize it's built as a security feature, but I see it actually as also a convenience feature, but it is a little weird when you see that come up that it's like, Hey, I can't like, can't do anything here. It's like, yeah, okay. Just knowing that it's all right. And that's all I had to tell Jeff was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Actually, that's a good thing. He's like, oh, great. That's a good thing. So, yeah, that's, um, you know, but it is weird when that shows up for the first time. I've 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 encountered that with several folks. So. Mm-hmm. All right, John, should we uh, should we do some of these? Uh, well, actually, you know what? Let's answer Gray's question, because I think for people ordering Apple watches, this is a um this is a thing. Gray says, is there a significant difference between the Ion X glass and Sapphire glass or crystals on the new Apple watches? I'm speaking here of durability. I have a series three with a Sapphire crystal and have been pressed. Uh, I have been impressed with the uh, resistance to scratches. So yeah, there, there's definitely a difference, right? Sapphire is, we'll call it scratch proof. There's like, I'm sure you could find a way to scratch it with a diamond or something. Right. But um, whereas Ion X is more scratch resistant than scratch proof, uh, but definitely not as much as a Sapphire crystal. However, Ion X glass is generally accepted to be more shatter proof than Sapphire though at those small sizes that you're getting on an Apple watch. I'm not sure that it makes that much of a difference, you know, shatterproof starts to matter as the, as the size of the surface area of the glass grows. 
and and I've got a link to somebody that knows far more about this than me and to the place where I sort of researched it, but um, I'll, which I'll put in the show notes, but uh, you could always put a shield over it. Uh, and I've found these, you know, $10 for a two pack watch shields and they, on the surface, they look like they're going to appear to be very like unwieldy and stuff. Once you've got it on your watch for a day, like to me, it just disappears. I do not see it. Um, so I will, I will put that in the, uh, in the notes and then, and then you don't have to worry about it. So, so there you go. Yeah. Do you know any, yes. do you know, do you know any geekier details of the Sapphire versus Ion X, like from a glass hardness standpoint? No. All right. You want to tell us about your, um, NFC tag reader, John? With well, Steve? uh, yeah, so we got a follow-up for but Steve makes a good point. Um, pretty sure John must have an older phone. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, so I have an iPhone 8. Uh, modern phones can automatically detect NFC tags when the phone is near. Older ones required manual intervention. That's why newer phones don't have that control in the control center. Right. Oh, to back right. to last week's show. Right. Ah, okay. Got it. Yeah, and I remember this when uh, when I was playing with this iTag uh, yep. product that I got at CES a couple of years ago. Um, they said, all right, if you got a newer phone, just hold up to the tag. Uh, if you got an older phone, you got to download our app. So Interesting. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. So your phone, uh, yeah, so if you hold your phone up to, uh, I assume you have a newer what 11 uh, i have an 11 pro but i think this started <laughs> with the 10 s yes i think I, the 10 needed to be you had to do what you have to do with launching the app and the 10 s did mm -hmm. not i think but i have a 10 mm -hmm. at the house that has been malfunctioning i think with a faulty battery so uh, so i'll i'll mess with mm -hmm. that and see but i'm pretty sure yeah that that's the case so yeah that makes sense that makes sense cool all right. Uh, a tip from Michael who says, uh, I have a 27 inch 5k iMac with a three terabyte fusion drive. Final cut was giving me some problems and Google foo showed that it might be the fusion drive. I had a Samsung two terabyte Thunderbolt drive an X five. So I attached that and used carbon copy cloner and copied my fusion drive over to it. I then booted off of the Samsung X five and it was fast and great. It was also out of space. So I moved my music off of the X5 and my amazing backups off the X5 and got some space back. But the space always got reduced to 45 gigs, no matter what I did. I forced a trim on the drive. I ran clean my Mac space lens and it said I only had 700 gigs of files. So about this Mac storage showed that I use 1.45 terabytes of quote unquote other. I researched and looked and even called Apple and no one had any idea. Then I read something about Carbon Copy Cloner APFS snapshots. I launched Carbon Copy Cloner and on each drive deleted the snapshots and watched as the other shrank and shrank. I also found leftover Time Machine snapshots and deleted those as well. Apparently what happens if you boot from a Carbon Copy Clone and then turn it into your regular boot drive all the leftover APFS snapshots are archived and just sit there taking up space. So yeah, managing your APFS snapshots and just being aware of them is huge. And you can do that in carbon copy cloner. Um, if you go 
and it, like on the left of the carbon copy cloner, it, the carbon copy cloner is the best interface for managing snapshots that I found. You can do it from the terminal, of course, with, I believe, disk util, uh, but I, I use carbon copy cloner because I can see them, you know. Uh, but if you go to your volumes list, which is on the, the bottom left in carbon copy cloner, as long as you have the sidebar open and if you don't show it and then it's on the bottom left, uh, if you click on a drive, it will show you the snapshots that exist on that drive and it will even show you how big they are uh, if you give it enough time to, you know, to, to go and size them for you. It'll give you all kinds of information about them and, and all of that good stuff. So you can restore from them, but you can also wipe them out. So uh, if you see some big ones there, and I think you can even sort by size. Yeah. So, you know, I've got one from August 26th. that's like five gigs uh, on, on the one drive I happen to be looking at. And it's like, okay, I mean, I don't need the space, so I'm okay leaving it. You can choose how carbon copy cloner manages your snapshots. And so that's why there's this big one from 30 days ago or whatever it is. But, um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the thing. Just make sure you're managing and make sure you're on top of them. Um, especially you, John, with, with what you just did with your restore and all that stuff, just make sure it didn't inherit mm -hmm. anything. And you know, it's just, it's just good to look. Yeah. So yeah, there yeah. You go. uh, the other place you can see it. So I actually did this, uh, at one point, Dave, I was having some issue with my, uh, with my mini and I would install something and then the, the, the machine wouldn't restart properly. It's like, oh, great. Mm. What did I break? Um, if you go into recovery in the, uh, time machine section, that also lets you list your local snapshots. Oh, right. So what in I did system preferences. is. Mm-hmm. Interesting. No, no. Yeah. The, uh, so recovery, um, time machine. Um, if you go to that section of that section of recovery, um, it also lists your local snapshots. Wait, what, what recovery helped me with this? Um, what am I missing? Uh, recovery. Right. So you boot into recovery. Oh, I got you now. Sorry. I, I, I'm caught up. Got it. So I boot into recovery mode and then go into time machine. Right. And one of the options will be, oh, if there are local snapshots, that's that that's an option. Oh, very cool. Okay. So that's how I was. So I was like, oh man, do I have to do a full restore? I'm like, Hey, wait, no, I don't have to do a full restore. Let me just go to the last local snapshot right. and it put it into uh, and then it booted. So it was a lot quicker yeah. than restoring from my clone. I mean, it was almost instantaneous. It was, it, so it's a neat feature. I it, it it I wanted to mention it because yeah, I mean it's kind of hidden. Yeah. Um, is that why did you put it in time machine? I mean, okay. Yeah, well, time machine is the thing creating them usually. Oh, right, right, right. Right, like I mean, unless you have a third party app also creating them, which you know in this case you would. But yeah, yeah. interesting. Huh. Alex in the chat room says, go to about this Mac storage and then click on manage. He says that can in, in the right cases also do wonders. So, um, oh. and he says it's often overlooked, which I would definitely agree with. So, yeah, cool. You want to take us to, uh, to Everett, John? Oh yeah. Yeah. So Everett, uh, made me spend some money. So, um, <laughs> awesome. So Everett said, I, I recently bought a 34-inch ultra-wide monitor, and it came with 
HDMI and DisplayPort. I used the USB-C to HDMI cable at first, but the display never liked to wake up from sleep. I believe Dave had this issue in the past. Um, yep. So I then ordered a DisplayPort to USB-C cable and connected it that way. And all of a sudden, it worked flawlessly. It no longer felt like I was waking up a hibernating turtle when waking up my Mac Mini. So always remember to check your ports that are available to you. Um, and I was like, huh, you know, I think I have one of those. And Dave, my OWC monitor. Um, OWC doc, you mean? Uh, no, no, the monitor. The OWC monitor that I have has two HDMI ports and a display port. So I'm like, Hey, I got one of those. So, so before I had the monitor hooked up to the HDMI port on my mini and I'm like, well, you know, let me try this. Cause it sounds like it's better. And actually, if you look in Mac tracker or something, um, Thunderbolt or USB C video is typically, you typically will get higher resolution than if you're using HDMI. Um, so I was like, Hey, I should get one of these cables. So I did a quick search online and something came up from, uh, Apple and it was like 50 bucks. And I'm like, yeah, it seems kind of expensive. Um, well, guess what, Dave, Amazon makes, <laughs> Amazon makes one, uh, Amazon basics, right? Yep. Uh, Amazon basics, aluminum USB C to display board cable, six feet was 15 bucks. Oh, nice. Well, I got one of those. And sure enough, Dave, it's uh it's it wakes up a heck of a lot quicker and it detects it. And I had this uh, I don't know if there's a bug in the HDMI on the mini or something, but every now and then he said you mentioned you may have had this problem, but I've uh, I would have situations where the screen just wouldn't wake up. Totally. My secondary screen would wake up, but my primary screen <laughs> Yeah. Wouldn't. And sometimes I, you know, sometimes if I unplugged it and replugged it, it would see it. Sometimes I actually had to uh, cycle power on my dock to yep. like reset everything into a known state. So yep. uh, I have been through that. Yeah. HDMI. Um, it, it's we, we, we talked with the folks. I, I assume you meant monoprice display, not OWD, OWC display. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. I'm sorry. That's monoprice. OK. But we had talked to the folks at monoprice about this. And there was a thing about like the 10 bit frame rate controller versus an eight bit frame rate controller. And sometimes the data wouldn't get passed. Right. But but yeah, having um, display port as opposed to HDMI tends to be a lot more reliable with Macs for whatever mm -hmm. reason. So, yeah. 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 Very good. Cool. Nice. Find. I put a link to that in the show notes for everybody so they can find your same cable there. Mm -hmm. uh, listener Bob also has a follow up about HDMI. We were talking a couple of episodes ago and uh, with Todd, he said where Todd was having dramatic color changes between using HDMI and DisplayPort to connect his monitor. He says, one thing I didn't hear mentioned in the set of potential solutions was checking the HDMI picture mode on his monitor. Typically, HDMI monitors are designed with a number of different picture mode options, such as normal, vivid, calibrated, dark, etc. The differences between modes can be very dramatic. Perhaps Todd should check to see if his monitor has those picture modes and choose one that better matches his preferences. So that's really, yeah, that 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 could be it, right? Because oftentimes with a display, your different inputs 
have can have different picture modes assigned to them and you might just have you know some wonky picture mode selected for whatever input you're on so yeah that's a good one thank you bob good stuff uh, where are we oh yeah go ahead man and the other thing yeah yeah, uh, yeah you had me check this out at one point dave um depending on the capabilities of your monitor you may have an hdr checkbox right that's right. Well, your Mac and your monitor, right? Because it's like it needs to be the right version of Mac OS. It needs to be the right Mac and it needs to be the right monitor. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking right now in displays and on the uh, Monoprice one, I have that checkbox on my Asus uh, backup screen. There is no checkbox because it doesn't do HDR. Got so. it. Got it. Where do you see that checkbox in the display system preference? Which, which of the tabs? Right below the rotation tab. So is this in just the on the, is this on the display tab or the color tab? Uh, display. Okay. So the first tab you, Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Interesting. Interesting. I don't have rotation, nor do I have HDR on either of my screens. Aww. That's interesting. Butter. But you said you found, which makes sense because it's the same with the TV. Um, HDR does it controls your brightness for you, right? Your brightness and contrast for you. So you can't control it for yourself. Is on that right? this screen, yeah. it does. That makes sense. On my LG uh, TV, I have HDR and I can control the brightness. So I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know why mono... I don't know if it's a bug in the firmware or, or, or what, but, um, well, usually so I like, actually, so I actually don't have HDR enabled on this screen and Dave, I mean, it's a beautiful screen. Sure. I, I, I don't want the H uh, I don't need the HDR. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of the spec, like with Dolby vision and things like mm-hmm. that. Like there's, 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 you know, somewhere in there, it's like, well, the filmmaker decided to do this. So we're just going to control your screen for you. I, at least mm-hmm. that's as I understand it, that I've, I've said more than I know to quote John Martellaro. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like, I always like that quote. Uh, all right. Let's see. Yeah. We've got time to make it through uh, some of these things here. Uh, listener, John, says uh we were talking in show 830 about home kit and and how i'm using hoobs and all of that stuff john and uh and how it's great to have everything together and and listener john pointed out he says one thing you didn't mention is home kit's automation he says i love the home kit automations and most of uh things are about you know leaving and returning to do lights and you can have some things where it like you know, you do an automation based on a trigger and then 10 minutes later do a different automation. It, like it's got some nice little, little linking together. I, I still have Amazon a lady as the sort of the, the hub for all of my automations, just because I don't want to rely on a single point of failure of, um, of like hoops. The, if the engine shuts down now, suddenly my lights aren't turning on and off and things like that. So, uh, I, I, and I've been fine with, with the a lady for it, but I could also link a lady into hoops, right? Like that hoops is not just for home kit. So thank you, John. That's, that's good. Good stuff. Uh, you want to share this tip about Ram in a, in an iMac, John? Yeah, well, this is wacky. Um, when the 20, uh, so Dan says 
when the 2020 27-inch iMac came out, I thought it was time for me to finally upgrade my 2011 21-inch iMac. When I ordered the new iMac, I kept it at the base 8 gigabytes of RAM and then ordered 16 gigabytes of RAM from OWC. I planned to keep the original 8 gigs in their original slots and install the 16 gigs from OWC in the other slots, or having 4848. Um, something I had done successfully with my 2011 iMac. Um, however, when I added the 16 gigs, I was surprised to see the memory speed dropped from 2667 megahertz to 2133 megahertz. Um, and actually you can find that if you go to a, a system info memory, you'll see the speed at which the uh, memory is, uh, is, is being run. Huh. Um, uh, some websites have stated that to keep the memory at 2667 in the new IMAX, that you needed to put the Apple RAM in slots one and two and the third party RAM in slots three and four. Doing this, however, prevents, prevents dual channel swapping. Right. The Mac Rumors IMAC forum, several posters noted that the new IMAC appears to be quite finicky regarding RAM and that you need to remove the original RAM when adding third party RAM if you want optimal performance. Um, so uh, I set aside my original 8 gigs of RAM from Apple and went solely with the OWC, which is now running at 2667 with dual channel swapping. In fact, I have ordered another 16 gigs of RAM from OWC to go with the 16 gigs I pre previously ordered. Huh. That's really weird. So I'm, I'm on a 2019 iMac here, John. And mm -hmm. evidently I did exactly what Dan did. I added my, I bought the 8 gigs because, you know, uh, and then I bought, uh, actually I bought 32 from OWC two sixteens, and I put those in one and three. So zero and two had uh, slots zero and two. So we would call them slots. One, but you know, the, the first and third slot have the original Apple Ram at four gigs a piece. And then the second and fourth slots have the sixteens in them from OWC and everything's running at 2667. So yeah, they changed something with the 2020 iMac. That's bizarre huh hmm. nice yeah and i'm looking here in the uh yeah the ram in in my mini is also running at 2667 yep yep oh and this is interesting upgradable memory yes oh it says uh, that no kidding huh? to our point before is yeah. Can, yeah so so the mini so this mini advertises that the memory is upgradable okay well that's nice Huh. Uh, and I'm almost certain that it's not on my MacBook Pro. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I, that you have, that whatever decision you make, uh, you're stuck with forever. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, uh, weird yeah. that the memory that I assume is, I assume both memories were, you know, I don't know, I don't know why they, why, why the Apple memory is fighting with the other memory. That's, that's really weird. Yeah, that, that, that is weird. Huh? I remember long ago, I think it was the titanium, the tie book. Remember the tie book? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember Apple had a weird thing. Uh, also uh, something where if you upgraded the firmware, all of a sudden it would complain about the memory being out mm. of spec. And it's like, no, 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 you were, you were fine before this. They, they tightened the, um, yeah, yeah, the spec on got, it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I remember that. And you remember, I mean, there was an outrage. It's like, you know, why, why does updating the firmware all of a sudden, you know, disable my RAM? Right. It's like, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, that was, and I, you know, I, to, to their credit, all of the RAM vendors we knew of at the time, which obviously was OWC, Ramjet, uh, you know, some blast from the past names, Memory to Go, uh, mm -hmm. All of the, and I'm just remembering off the top of my head, but, but all the Ram vendors were, were great about it. They like just swapped out your Ram, even if you'd bought it years and years before, cause they all have lifetime warranties on it. So that was, yeah, that was weird. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, this is nice. All right. Uh, Alex actually found a, uh, a post here from Apple saying as much. <laughs> okay. Dims should be the same capacity, speed and vendor. Interesting. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Apple's weird about stuff like this, man. It's weird. Uh, they do offer us some cool things though. As James points out, he says, uh, you know, in eight thirty one, we were talking, uh, answering one of Scott's questions about doing diagnostics on your Mac. And, uh, James says, I'm sure, uh, lots of you and probably, perhaps even the two of you listen to ATP accidental tech podcast. Absolutely. Uh, and he says, so you may have already received this feedback, but apparently you can hold option D at startup to pull the latest hardware di diagnostics for that Mac from the Internet. Then when that completes, you can hold command E to run the extended hardware test. Be warned, though, the extended diagnostics time was a little over 180 minutes for my little baby 2017 inch MacBook. So thanks for that, James. Yeah, absolutely. That's that. Yeah. Command option D and command E for sure. We will put that in the show notes for, uh, well, and, and I got an update. Yeah. Um, you don't need to do it. This also works from the regular diagnostics. The command E the extended hardware test. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. But if you do, right. If you do option D, you get the latest diagnostics, but you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Either, either existing or, or latest will do that. Yeah. Cause okay. uh, I was Good. curious because there's no menus in the diagnostic screen. It just comes up and says, Hey, I'm running diagnostics. Right. But sure enough, if I held down command E and yeah, on my MacBook Pro, it took like an hour to, uh, do the extended test. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, option D not, Command D. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So, yeah, no, it's okay. D, it, it like D by itself on startup should just launch the built in diagnostics and mm -hmm. then option D right, is right. if you want the, um, the, the mm -hmm. internet diagnostics. All right. We'll put that link in the show notes too. John, I think that brings us to, uh, to the end of things here. Uh, it's just, you know, it's how it mm -hmm. goes. I, I, it's just how it goes. Time is what it is. We still choose to live in a world where time is um, linear and, <laughs> and consistent. <laughs> yeah, some some days are better than others with that. So I don't know, man. Uh, we do have some premium subscribers who has who have had contributions come in recently that I would like to thank. Uh, you can learn about that at macgeekup.com/slash/premium. Roger, uh, Roger Y, uh, Randy from Westport, Sharon from Wesley Chapel uh, in Florida, 
Robbie from Hendersonville, Martin from Carlsbad, Stephen from Plainfield, Robert from Columbiana, Barry from, uh, I don't know where Barry is, but I know Barry's been doing a little bit of flying. In fact, Barry was in your very studio not that long ago. Uh, Joseph from Marietta, James from Melville, Royce from Ewa Beach, I think, or Ewa Beach. I'm not sure. It's uh, it's, a, it's in Hawaii. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Anyway, Jeff from Chesterton, Andrew from Honolulu, also in Hawaii. Uh, David from Plainsboro, Frank from Tunbridge, Michael from Spencer, Fernando, uh, Fernando F, mystery, David from Owensboro, Jeffrey from Windsor, Clive from Burgess Hill, Scott from Bourbon A's, David from Mount Prospect, Matthew from Forked River, Dave from Saugerties, Michael from Robbins, Erica from Netcong, Don from Lake Forest, William from Getzville, Getzville, my apologies, Craig from Costa Mesa, Costa Mesa, uh, Ken from Honolulu, so several out there in Hawaii. Hope you're all doing okay. I uh, hope everybody's doing okay. John from Wake Forest, Chris from Chorleywood, Santiago from Palm City, Jim from San Jose, Brian from Danbury, Graham from Glebe, Mike from Tempe, Timothy from Hendersonville, and Timothy from West Windsor, Bob from La Peche, Tim from Des Moines, Joe from Redondo Beach, Philip from Tucson, Domenico from Holbrook, Daniel from University Place, Ari from Kensington, John from Sonora, David from Chicago. Thank you, David. Uh, thank you, everybody. Nick from Mount Clemens, Abdullah from Reisterstown, James from San Antonio, Bob, Dr. Mac, Levitis with his Working Smarter for Mac users from Austin, Peter from Auburn, Abel from Santa Rosa, Brian from Bayville, Neil from West Hartford, Alan from Burbank, Pierre Timo with a question earlier in the show, too, or a tip even. Drake from Honolulu. Wow. Uh, Eric from Albuquerque, Mark from Milford, Paul from Fishers, Ward from Mesa, Joe B, Gary from Babylon, Anthony from Ride, John from Houston, Robert from Oro Valley, Luann from Albuquerque, Eric from Trondheim, Matt from Midlothian. I love saying Midlothian. It's got a good mouthfeel. Jason from Charleston, <laughs> Douglas S, Daniel from London, Jeff S, Olga from Bellevue, and Everett from Marina. You all rock. Thank you so much to everybody who is able to and interested in uh, contributing to our premium program. It really, it all comes together. And thanks to all of you. Thanks for listening. First and foremost, that really is the thing that is the, like, the, the biggest help, to be perfectly honest. Everything stems from there. And then sending in your questions. Thanks for that. Your tips, all, all that stuff, obviously. It, it all really works. Tell a friend about the show. That That's... Uh, I would love it if you did that. So that's that's what I that's what I have to say. John, what do you have to say, my friend? <clears throat> anything? Thank you. There you go. Everyone. Okay. Any uh anything um, to add before we before we move on here? Um Yeah, uh, the, another definition of time, Dave. <laughs> I love it. Um the I, I don't know if you remember this, but but I actually dug it up here. Quick time had an Easter egg where if you hovered over the QuickTime extension, um, it would say the following. Time, a non-spatial, a non-spatial continuum in which events occur, occur in apparently irreversible succession from the past through the present to the future. Yeah. Apparently irreversible. I love yes. this. Yes. I love <laughs> this. That's awesome. That's outstanding. Yeah. Nice find. That's great. That's great. A blast from the past just to stick with the time theme, right? 
Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks to all of you. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks, of course, to all of our sponsors, the ones we mentioned in the episode, varsitytutors.com slash MGG, expressvpn.com slash MGG, otherworldcomputing at maxsales.com. Of course, our ongoing sponsors, eero.com slash MGG. Very excited about their new Wi-Fi 6 stuff. Can't wait to uh, to test it and learn and all that stuff. linode.com slash MGG, barebones.com, smilesoftware.com slash podcast just to change it up a little bit that's what we got john what do you got dave how you doing (laughs) all right good Mm -hmm. cool um but i want to share some advice dave um and the advice i have for you and for everyone who's listening and watching is don't get caught made up.